0230-2236. In Psychedelia, we'll be back on 3CR from 2pm next Sunday. Aha! Pansexual! Knowing no boundaries of sex or gender. Sound interesting? Then join Sally on Sundays at noon for Out of the Pan. All those gender questions making you think too hard? Whether it's transgender, bisexual, polyamorous or beyond, we'll throw those questions into the pan and cook up the answers for you. So go on, push that gender envelope only on 3CR 855 AM digital and 3cr.org.au. Nick from In Psychedelia. That was a great show today and you can listen back and stream to the show and any show on 3CR at 3cr.org.au. So that song we just heard was Bahai Kubo by um, Lowleaf who is based in a musician, multi-instrumental multi musician based in LA. Um, definitely check out her stuff. She's really amazing. So Hi, 3CR listeners. You're tuning in live to Queering the Air with myself, Tan Hung, in the studio, broadcasting to you from the Wurundjeri and Bunurong lands of the Kulin Nation. I'd like to pay my respects to elders past and present and any elders who may be tuning in right now. Today, we'll be covering Liquid Architecture's FMX What Would a Feminist Methodology Sound Like, which is a series of talks, performances by 28 women addressing the theme question. This event has been running every Friday since 28th of August with the last event um, coming up this Friday, September 18th at West Space in the city. And later on in the show, I'll be chatting to Aurelia Goh, a writer and artist based in Melbourne, as well as Eva Birch, the co-founder of the Feminist Reading Group. But first, let's hear a snippet of Celeste Little's talk at opening night for uh, Liquid Architecture's What Would a Feminist Methodology Sound Like? Celeste Little is a Melbourne-based Arundel woman who is self-described as, um, as a black feminist ranter. This is her talk. Before I start, I wanted to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land and 
particularly pay my respects to Arnie Dyer here um, and acknowledge the elders past and present. I'd also like to identify myself as a proud Arundel woman and my people are from Central Australia. Um, one side of the family is the Littles, which is you know, a huge family and some of them end up have a bad habit of ending up in the media. Um, the other side is the Perkinses, which is also a huge family and they also have a bad habit of ending up in the media. So. That's my family, Alice Springs um, and pretty much east and southeast of theirs traditional lands but through marriage and family and all that stuff I'm linked to pretty much all of the Arunda Nation which means I've got about 500, I mean sorry, 5,000 relatives. So yeah, that's, that's me. Um, I wanted to start my um, talk tonight with with some words from another Aboriginal feminist who was a huge inspiration to me and also a friend, um, someone I met back when I was a student at La Trobe Uni. This is a, this is a poem by Lisa Belair who passed away nine years ago at the very, very young age of 45 years old, but who was an amazing community activist, radio broadcaster, writer, photographer, and the first Aboriginal lesbian feminist I'd ever met. Um, her loss is still felt really, really keenly in Melbourne because she was the type of person who everyone knew and loved and, you know, we're a poorer place without her presence. Um, part of her thing with photography was that she was very much a community-based photographer and she felt that the community owned the images. So she'd take photos of us all and I think my favourite one that she took of me was me sitting outside in a... Um, in a dressing gown, smoking a cigarette on some sort of university trip. So, yeah, she always gave those images back because she felt that, you know, she didn't own them. They were community sort of... They were, they were for the community wealth. They were trying to tell the story of the community in action and how it worked. Um, but, yeah, yeah, the, in um, 1996, she pu published a poem called... I mean, sorry, a book of poems... I've only had one and a half wines, so if I stumble over this, I apologise. But she published a book of poems called Dreaming in Urban Areas, and the poem I'm going to read is a pretty critical piece she, called, um, she wrote entitled Women's Liberation. Hoping I can do it, yeah. <laughs> Talk to me about the feminist movement, the gubba middle-class heterosexual revolution way back in the 70s when men wore tweed jackets with leather elbows and the women, well, I don't remember or maybe I just don't care or can't relate. Now, what were those white women on about? What type of neurosis was fashionable back then? So maybe I was only a school kid the ki and kids like women have got on thing that joins the schemata like we're, worth like we're not worth listening to. And who wants to liberate women and children? What will happen in an egalitarian society if the women and kids start becoming complacent in what they believe should they have rights and economic independence? And what would these middle-class kids and white women do with liberation, with freedom, with choices of, do I stay with my man or do I fall in love with another um, middle-class white woman? And, wouldn't it, and <laughs> it wouldn't matter if my new woman had kids or maybe even kids and dogs. Yes, I'm for the women's movement. I want to be free and wear Dunlop tennis shoes. 
and Indigenous women, well, surely the liberation of white women includes all women regardless. It doesn't? Well, that's not for me to deal with. I mean, how could I, as a white middle-class woman who is deciding how I can budget when my man won't pay the school fees and the diners club simply won't extend credit, I don't even know if I'm capable of understanding Aborigines in Victoria. Aboriginal women here? I've never seen one. And if I did, what would I say? Damned if I'm going to feel guilty for wanting something better for me, for women in general, not just white, middle-class, Volvo-driving, part-time women's studies students. Maybe I didn't think... Maybe I thought women in general meant Aboriginal women, the Koori women in Victoria. Should I apologise? Should I feel guilty? Maybe the, maybe the solution is to sponsor a child through World Vision. Yes, that's probably best. I feel like I could cope with that. Look, I'd like to do something for our Aborigines, but I haven't met one. And if I did, I would say all this business about land rights, maybe I'm a bit scared... What's it mean that someday I'll wake up and, there'll be this, and there will be this flag? What is it, you know? Red, black, the yellow circle staked out front. And then what? Okay, I'm sorry, I feel guilt. Is that what I should be shouting from the top of the Rialto building? The women's movement saved me. Maybe the 90s will be different. I'm not sure what I mean, but I know that although it's not just a women's revolution that will free us, it's a beginning. Bisexual Alliance is a non-profit organisation dedicated to raising awareness and supporting people who are bisexual, people who are multi-gender attracted, their partners and their families. Bisexual Alliance runs several monthly discussion groups in and outside of Melbourne to offer support, a safe space to chat about your experiences and to explore others' experience of multi-gender attraction. These groups are for bisexuals, those who are questioning and their loved ones. For more information, visit bi-alliance.org or email Info at by-alliance.org. Hi, I'm Tristan Taramino, and you're listening to Queering the Air on 3CR. Hi 3CR listeners, you're tuning in live to Queering the Air on 3CR Community Radio with myself, Tan Hung. Um, and that song we just heard was Fruit by Sydney-based musician Rainbow Chan. Um, definitely check out her music, she's she's really amazing. So, so just before that we heard a talk um, by Celeste Little, just a snippet of it though. So if you're interested in hearing the full length, version, please do go to Liquid Architecture's SoundCloud page and you can find um, her talk there. Um, and joining me in the studio today is Eva Birch, the co-founder of feminist, the Feminist Reading Group, and Aurelia Go, a Melbourne-based writer and artist who is also part of the Feminist Reading Group. Hello. Hello. Hi. Hello. <laughs> Good. Um, welcome to the studio. So 
Um, I want to start off with you, Aurelia. You you had a performance on Friday evening as part of um, Liquid Architecture's What Would a Feminist Methodology Sound Like? And the... Oh, I was there, so I... I, yeah. <laughs> I also performed, but... Yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah. You, I... You know, the hashtag, give me your money to women. Can you explain about, like, the concept of your performance and that hashtag? Um, the hashtag is just something that kind of erupted on Twitter in July this year. Mm. And um, there were three women behind it, Bardo Smith, Yoshin Lords, and um, Lauren Chief Elk. And, um, I mean, like, I've just found this, like, kind of hashtag, like, very, like, influential on, like, my thinking, even, like, my actions and behaviour mm, Yeah. <laughs> since it's happened. Um, these women went on Twitter and they said that what they want is money. Like, you know, they want, like... Uh, voluntary like just direct monetary compensation um from men and like from women maybe just like they want to be paid for the emotional intellectual physical labor um that they're asked for that they're asked to contribute um they're they're saying that they want to be paid for like the time and uh attention from them that people seem to want like including um, men, including women, and uh, mm. you know, they encourage other women to like sort of post their PayPal's too, and like to ask for mm. the same. Yeah, yeah, and I guess yeah, in society, like emotional labor, especially like women's emotional labor, is is usually not valued. Um, and yeah, I'd love to hear more about like because it, it, with this hashtag, it went viral. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And do you think it was like the first that maybe like in the kind of mainstream um, arena, like people kind of started thinking about like emotional labor? Or do you think people have thought about emotional labor before? I think it's a, I think it's just something um, that people have congregated around because mm-hmm. there has been a fair amount of conversation about emotional labor, effective labor, maybe like immaterial labor, mm. kind of like here and there, maybe in like the art world, maybe in like the academy within um, feminism. But this was something that I think was really effective because it was so literal. It was so, um, I don't know, like it was so clear and uh, I don't know, it was so applicable. Like it was so like immediately applicable and um you know, like, uh, dollars started to, like, flow in and, like, it also <laughs> got this media coverage and it also mm. got this media backlash where people call them disgusting and, like, shameless. Mm. And um, it generated, like, a few think pieces. It generated, like, a few interviews with, like, the founders. Yeah. Um, yeah, and with, with your performance, like, I, I really liked how you use, like, these PowerPoints to sh- show, like, different questions that we would ask ourselves if oh if we've been like you know doing more labor than we should or like the value in our labor but then you also um related it to something else that you that you found um trying to remember like some kind of um psychological testing maybe I'll just maybe I'll just kind of explain for people that weren't there at Westface what Mm. um what I presented was sort of like a talk which I had um, kind of off notes and then I also presented some slides and like the slides were also material that I found from the internet. Mm. Um, the slides were um, an emotional labour self-assessment list slash like checklist. Yeah. 
and um, they were generated by the users of Ask Metafilter forums and the the checklist sort of entries, which like included things like you know like um, do I take responsibility for my own health? Do I go to the doctor without being prompted? You know, do I mm. um, you know like do I keep myself in sort of like this kind of healthy functioning like available mm. kind of like state for other people? Um, these these entries were like generated by the question like what is emotional labor and how do you know if you're doing your fair share of it? It was kind of in the context maybe of like a heterosexual relationship where you know like these women were talking about like um who's doing this work in the relationship and like who isn't yeah mm. yeah but we can think of emotional labor um manifesting in other areas of our lives like whether that be work not just in relationships totally totally yeah but when in activism feminist um feminist groups even um yeah Eva do you have anything that you'd like to add to that um, yeah, definitely. I guess I often think about it in terms of my relationship, my personal relationships, um, in particular my romantic relationship, because mm-hmm. <laughs> that's where it comes up a lot. Mm. Um, shout out to my partner, Alex. <laughs> um, but yeah, you know, I guess my experience is I often get kind of emotional, um, uh, over these kind of issues in, um, I guess, romantic partnerships. But mm-hmm. it, it is interesting, I guess what I'm interested in is um, taking what you learn from, what I learn from that and then, as you say, um, applying that or thinking about those dynamics structurally in terms of, um, yeah, the patriarchy and um, in terms of capitalism um, and, yeah, I guess the workplace and, um, uh, yeah, friendships and family and everything um, is structured around kind of this give and take thing because of capitalism. Mm. Yeah, and on on the topic of romantic relationships, like I I wonder if, like, if... Yeah, for a lot of women, um, that's where we learn or, like, that's where our boundaries of emotional labour get tested and then we start to see it in other parts of our lives. And yeah, totally. Yeah, so it's, it's just really interesting and I wonder if that's all, like, structured by, like, yeah, capitalism um, and, like, capitalist ideas of romance and what a relationship should be like, um, that women should be supporting their partner in all these different facets. Mm. Yeah, I think the um, the kind of myth of the um, romance and the um, the couple form, I guess, um, is so prevalent in our culture um, because it's kind of about what we need the most, you know, like love and care. Mm. But then the myth of the um, couple, like the traditional kind of romance we see in the movies um yeah the heterosexual couple the heterosexual Mm. couple I guess yeah um that myth um kind of masks uh the economic relations that are actually going on well I think I think what goes on with that um idea is like this idea that like women are loving and caring and that they're empathetic that they're nurturing that um women are sort of like uh 
you know, like geared or wired um, somehow like biologically or, you know, like in just like some innate way to like be like the educators and to be, um, you know, the supporters and like the facilitators of, um, I don't know, like male ambition, male agency and... uh, you know, like, this is construed as, like, sort of, like, what men do in the world is work, it takes effort, it takes education, mm. it takes preparation, it's um, worth money. But what women do in the world, it's, you know, like, it's supposed to, like, spring from their nature or, like, spring yeah. from nothing as if it doesn't take, like, sort of, you know, like, incredible, like, conditioning and, like, training and, like, preparation and you know, to, like, generate the sort of work that women do. You know, like, there's the work of, like, generating that work. Like, I think self-care, like, the things that you do to, like, treat your body and mind well, actually, it's work preparation. (laughs) Like, it, like, prepares you to be, like, emotionally available to other people and to do the work that makes other people feel affirmed, validated, you know, that makes them feel good. Yeah, totally. Like the on the self-care aspect, it's, it's like if we're, you know, constantly trying to be there for someone emotionally and attend to their emotional needs, where do we get the downtime to look after ourselves and like, yeah, make sure that we're okay. And then the downtime to look after ourselves like winds up serving them because like, mm. you know, we come back to them with like a clear head with like this kind of like um, time for them and... I don't know, like, I think the language of self-care is a little bit misleading because Mm -hmm. it has self in it and, like, it posits that it's about, like, the primacy of, like, you and your needs. But I think the way that it functions in society is that, like, you know, that, like, once your needs are met, now you can do the real business of, like, meeting the needs of other people Mm, because your needs aren't, like, an end in, like, themselves. But, like, in fact, your emotional labour has to, like, uphold the whole structure of, like, patriarchy, capitalism and, like, everything else. Mm. But I think there can... It can be... I don't know, I guess I'm interested in... I think that's totally true, but I guess I'm interested in perhaps using, like, the list Mm. that you posted, um, say, between two people in a romance or in a friendship yeah. or whatever, um, perhaps using a kind of checklist but also practising self-care in a radical way or something. Like I guess um, there's examples I can think of. Like I don't know, I really like Princess Nokia and I don't know, there's a couple <laughs> yeah. of people who are kind Jungle of doing <laughs> yeah. yeah, like self-care yeah. Um, that's conscious of these things and it is like going back into them going back into their in to themselves and empowering them at the same time kind of empowering the community maybe yeah yeah which could include their partners or not yeah well I think that like um it's significant that like princess nokia jungle pussy they're like women of color and then like I feel like it's you know like it's somehow like so important and like life affirming or something to see them like Mm. I don't know, like, put this emphasis on, like, loving themselves and, like, rejuvenating themselves and that, like, maybe that is, like, kind of this, like, Audre Lord, like, radical, like, self-care, like, that's kind of, like, you know, preserving myself is, like, an act of, like, political warfare when, like, you yeah. know, everything is, like, trying to, like, eradicate me. Yeah. Um, I guess what I'm interested in when I think of self-care is, like, how that 
um, is entwined with community care. And um, I've been reading Bell Hooks' um, Salvation, which is yeah part of that trilogy of um, love books. And, yeah, she talks about, like, how... Um, how community, like, self-care became, like... Oh, well, self-care kind of became, was introduced when... To, like, separate the movement at the time, the, um, like, black civil rights movement happening in America, um, saying how a lot of the... the um, I guess the, st- the structures that were put in place were to, you know, were about education, housing, and, like, community care, but then the, but then that changed a lot because the idea of self-care wasn't, or, like, love and self-care wasn't as important as power. Um, yeah, so that's just something that was really interesting for that me when I read it. Really interesting. Yeah, so I guess I also think about, like, um, yeah, how does race come into self-care and, you know, the idea of family as well. Like, if you, like, grow, I grew up in an Asian family, so it's like you re- you really stick together, or I, in my family, at least, we really stuck together, and um, we kind of look after each other in a lot of ways, but we don't talk about our feelings a lot. Interesting. And so, yeah, it's just really interesting how it's like, yeah, we have to look after each other, but we don't talk about our feelings, and but it's like we still have to, like, look after our elders, and um, when they're older, like, it's expected that they'll live with us rather than putting them in a nursing home, Um yeah. I sort of, yeah. Have you ever thought about anything like that, really? Um, I guess so. Like, I mean, like, I loved these checklists, which, um, you know, I can make available later because you might not know what we're talking about. Yeah. But, um... Can you give us an example of something on the checklist? Well, I'm just, like, looking at it now, and, um, I mean, I'll just read the one about, like, partnered life because it's, like, the start, mm-hmm. and then, um, it talks about... Am I checking in with my partner to see if they've had a rough day? Mm. Um, If they've had a rough day, am I stepping up to make their life easier? Like, am I cooking or cleaning or, like, something like that? Mm. Um, Am I being open and clear with my partner? Like, do I um, not force them to, like, work, to, like, drag it out of me or, like, to guess about, like, what I want or need? Um, Do I contribute in, like, a constructive way to, like, the way that we plan our meals the way that, like, we plan, like, special occasions or holidays. Mm. Um, You know, do I try to make my partner feel safe? Do I try to make them feel valued? Do I take care of, like, my administrative life? Do I take care of, like, my paperwork, bills, Um, you know, all of that so that they don't have to worry about it? And um, I don't know, just, like, looking through this list, I love the way that I actually find it, like, really rather practical maybe like the way that you've talked about like your family um being practically supportive so Mm. you know like to me like I just feel like it's like so much more meaningful and valuable to know that when you grow old you'll be like housed and fed and like surrounded by family than like to I don't know like to know that you can talk about your feelings like to me that's really (laughs) kind of like a very abstract and like (laughs) diffuse thing that's like very hard to like measure or value yeah it's like the first thing my extended because my extended family my dad's side live here and my dad's one of 10 and so whenever I go to a family party the first thing like my aunties will ask me is have you eaten 
why haven't you eaten? Totally. You gotta eat more. Here's totally. your second serving, you gotta eat again. So it's just like totally. actually like looking after yourself. And it's eating. like, are you warm? Do you have money? Like <laughs> Yeah, do you, you have know? Money? Yeah. Like that's what you know, like that's what care <laughs> is to me. Like I really mm. want to like turn all of these questions about like feelings and stuff into like questions about like resources because mm. for me inequality is about resources like it's about power which is a resource but it's also yeah. about like housing education employment like opportunities and you know like it's about like these like material measurable things and like not just like sort of symbolic things about like what language we use or like what we say yeah yeah and I think yeah I think for a long time kind of radical discourse has been preoccupied with um abolishing capital and abolishing certain things and um that kind of uh begs the question like what do we do in the meantime or something and I think what we're seeing at the moment is like women on Twitter who you're talking about like Lauren Chief Elk um and lots of different writers I could mention <coughs> um kind of talking about money and talking about um resources and that and still being um you know, radical, well, <laughs> and like, you know, posting self exactly, yeah, yeah. like pay me, like that yeah. is radical, yeah. You know, like I need to eat, like that yeah. is radical, yeah, yeah. Mm, totally. So, how do you think that, um, yeah, with those with those resources in mind, like where does theory come into self care? Do you think, and like what role does it have to help us understand or like transform our ideas about self care? Um, either. <laughs> Um, that's a good question. Something I asked my, I ask myself every day. (laughs) Um, yeah, I guess I have, um, I'm doing a, writing like a PhD thesis at the moment and I guess I've, was struggling for a while, like with say reading texts that talk about, um, say reading Marxist texts or radical texts, um, that kind of leave out a, leave out a certain dimension, I guess. Mm. Um, and I think, I guess what I'm interested in at the moment are personal narratives um, and kind of like pretty recent writing um, of women who talk about their own experiences and then can also kind of interweave the theory they're reading Mm. So kind of new mode of theory that's from a personal experience but still is taking into um, account um, colonialism and capitalism and um, kind love, of a, th- a theory from the first person or something. I mm. love Jackie Wang. Like for, yeah. Maybe not for her, not for like what comes through about self-care in her writing but maybe about like community care where like she talks about like interdependent ways in which she's like lived with people. And then, um, yeah, like, I don't know, somehow I think that's really important. Like, I feel like what you have said about, like, community care or, um, I don't know, like, just, like, sort of these uh, maybe, like, first-person, like, female writers and, like, more that have just talked about, like, ways of living that, like, you know, like, affirm everybody's, like, need for care and, like, need to care. Like, I find Mm. that more theoretically like kind of interesting and like actionable than like 
anything directly about like self-care because I feel like the emphasis on like the self and like individualism and like self-responsibility mm. and stuff yeah. is like kind of like a real problem with like the culture that like we're living in yeah, yeah. for sure um so are there any theorists that you love reading for self-care really you just mentioned the one person that you really liked oh I love reading Jackie Wang and oh, like, Jackie she's Wang, yeah. a theorist mm. and she's a writer and a poet and cool yeah maybe she wouldn't you know like maybe she would foremost be described as a poet rather than a theorist. And I'm just talking about something like really diffuse that like comes through like her whole body of work rather than kind of like anything specific she's written on the topic of self-care. Mm. And you mentioned in um, she talks about interdependent care or interdependent... It's just kind of like a vibe that like kind of like comes through in like her writing where she talks about um, the kind of like support networks that have like kind of enabled her to um, mm. live and to write and like to be and stuff. Yeah, cool. What about you, Eva? Um, yeah, I really like Jackie Wang as well. Um, we were reading her in um, theory group, and everyone like really responded to that month and really liked um, that text. Against innocence, it's called. Um, Yeah, and I guess other kind of writers, um, part of that milieu, um, like Hannah Black, um, (laughs) and who else? Um, We read Leslie Jamison, who wrote, who writes kind of from the first person. Chris Krause is like a massive influence, I think, for a lot of people, um, including myself. Um, I mean, she's kind of often cited to be the founder of a movement or the founder of a style, but I think it's kind of more diverse than that. Um, Yeah, and then I guess, but in my academic work, I'm looking at um, philosopher, or mainly looking at Lucie Rigueray, a French philosopher, Mm. um, who kind of like Aurelia was saying, instead of focusing on the individual, um, I think it's good to think, or the subject, it's, like in philosophy, it's the subject. Instead of thinking about the subject, to think about intersubjectivity, hmm. which is perhaps one of her biggest contributions. Yeah. Um, can you explain yep. that idea? Um, yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I guess her idea is about um, her main contribution to philosophy, <laughs> maybe, <laughs> is um, a radical difference um, between two subjects so she talks about sexual difference um but it can be uh any two subjects um and it kind of each each subject has kind of boundaries and limits that are impenetrable in a way so there's kind of a respect and um uh yeah, kind of each person is allowed to, like, retain their, like, um, whole self at the same time mm. as um, communicating with each other. Mm. I definitely said that in my own words, not in her <laughs> words. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> um, cool. Yeah. yeah, that sounds really interesting. Um, so can you tell uh, Queering the Air listeners, for those who don't know more about the feminist reading group that you're both a part of? Yeah, sure. Um, So it started in December, I think. Um, Yeah, uh, my 
partner and I were in London for a while and we'd just been talking about it kind of all year. We didn't have very many friends there. (laughs) So we were kind of talking about coming back and, um, (laughs) yeah, um, we were talking about for ages doing kind of like maybe one for women and then one for women and men or something Mm. and non-binary people and any people that identify in anyway cool um but I guess this idea of yeah we were kind of throwing these ideas around um I guess like we were saying before coming from um how hard we were finding our relationship (laughs) (laughs) so kind of like what Aurelia is talking about as well like okay what should we do about this (laughs) we'll go to theory (laughs) yeah yeah which yeah (laughs) isn't always (laughs) what you need (laughs) um now it's become like this really great thing and like we meet like once a month or like not every not every single month but like most months and like talk about like this one text that um is sent as a pdf or yeah 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 and kind of these writers have been talking about um yeah yeah mainly kind of pretty new stuff um new writing new writing Mm, yeah okay yeah um can you share some thoughts on any any of the new writing you've come across that have been like controversial or interesting or like oh that's a little bit like you're not sure if you agree or any thoughts like that um I guess probably the most controversial was the first one we did maybe um I don't know which one theory of the young girl um, oh yeah I don't know I yeah. hate that <laughs> <laughs> it's a really device do you know that no no or? I don't know that text um, it, it's by men. It's by like these male anarchists. Oh yeah, we were talking about oh, this. Really? You went and yeah, I went saw to their one talk of their and... book launches. Yeah, um, they had a book launch. Oh well, they had. Sorry, it's like by like Takoon or like the Invisible Committee, which you know like shares its members, and they had mm. um, a book launch in Berlin that I went to. That was of their latest book, which was titled "To Our Friends." But um, I mean, like, I really dislike their politics because um I don't know like I think it comes from like this kind of like false universalist kind of like point of view that can also be I don't know like I mean like the book like the theory of like the young girl like sort of says that the perfect capitalist citizen is the young girl and um that the young girl is like a concept with no gender though it does have an age and gender <laughs> and um you know like it's just, like full of things saying like the young girl has like the personality of a tampon and um, has the what personality yeah. of a tampon yeah <laughs> a tampon yeah <laughs> so I think I don't know like I think it's really negative like I think yeah. it really teaches like this like hatred of women and like this like self-hatred of women and mm. Women aren't the problem with capitalism. Like, capitalism is the problem with capitalism. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and it really... Um, yeah, you kind of take either side or something. You well, either th- yeah. <clears throat> yeah. I thought the second text was... The second text was, like, Jackie Wang. It was against innocence. And, like, mm. I thought that was really interesting and divisive too because Jackie Wang is, like, a prison abolitionist and she was saying that the framework of, like, there was, you know, like, there was another, like, black man who was the victim of, like, police brutality 
Mm. And the way that the media was framing these and that even some activists were framing these was that he was innocent, that like he didn't have a criminal record, that he was, um, I don't know, a high school graduate, that he was, I don't know, like a family man or something. Mm. And she said that we cannot tie our politics to like the innocence of um, the victims of like the system because, you know, like a way of like, you know, like it's kind of like this like Black Lives Matter thing and it's like you can't say that like lives are only valuable if they conform to like these norms especially when like conforming to these norms is like much 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 more structurally difficult for like some people in some groups than others Mm. yeah yeah and then the following text um was from our friend cinnamon and kind of talking about that in terms of the trans experience and Mm. safe spaces yeah um yeah which is a related argument i guess jackie wang wasn't talking about safe spaces but in terms of radical radical communities and the idea of the safe space. Yeah, it's really yeah. interesting. I was <laughs> listening to um, a talk between Bell Hooks and Laverne Cox and um, there's this moment where Bell Hooks is like, oh, but I have to talk to – but I need to talk about, like, the safe space. Like, white people love to talk about the safer spaces and started, like, critiquing, like, the idea of safety <gasps> totally, and, like, who, who, totally. who, yeah, who gets to decide – Totally. Like that the space is safe. And yeah. White people say safe when they mean comfortable. Like mm, white yeah. people in Australia are in very little physical danger. And like yeah. I hate when people say safe when they mean comfortable. Like it's politically totally like silencing and like shutting down of like you know, like any voice that like actually threatens their mm. I don't know, like um maybe comfort or privilege yeah totally um I think in that in that dialogue which you can watch on YouTube um Bell Hooks goes on to talk about like oh she's like oh so I really think that we should be looking towards like the harmonious space one that accounts for risk and you know yeah being vulnerable and being like okay there's room for that risk factor of like um messing up or making mistakes and things like that rather than always being like afraid of saying the wrong thing and totally mm. totally we can't have like this climate of like fear like we have to be able to make mistakes totally yeah Mm. (laughs) yeah I really like talking about safe spaces or safer spaces and yeah I think Mm. it's just a really interesting topic and I I think it would be great to talk more about especially like within like queer and trans community and people of color communities as well in Melbourne yeah, yeah, I feel like I was thinking about that on the way here, I think, or yesterday or something, um, about Feminist Theory Group and whether whether it's a safe space or not. And it's, like, really not, but it's, like, comfort, comfortable. Mm. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and we have, like, tea and, you know, eat and stuff, like, get bread yeah. from A1, but it's not, like... Um, you feed each other. It's a different way, <laughs> yeah. yeah exactly. <laughs> exactly. Well, like, you're housed, you're fed, you're warm, you're comfortable. Mm. Yeah, but, you know, like, someone might disagree with you or, like, tell you that you're wrong. Yeah. 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 Mm. But via, but yeah, because there's kind of um, a gesture of friendship, I guess, and mm. um, that's kind of where the comfort rather than perhaps safety, safety comes comes in because you're kind Mm. of 
trying to foster a friendship with these people totally. in a community or something. Mm. Totally. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Um, so, Arella, you've had a performance at What Would a Feminist Methodology Sound Like? But both of you will be um, at next week's or this upcoming Friday, September 18th's performance, which will – the theme is care. So have you got any insights to what you'll be doing you want to share with listeners? Um, so it'll be Aurelia, myself, um, Cinnamon, who I just mentioned, mm-hmm. um, and Catherine Bodden. Um, and yeah, I feel like we all have quite different personalities <laughs> or yep. something. And I'd really like mm-hmm. if we could, um, yeah, I'm hoping that we can all kind of let our personality shine or something. We're all going to do like short presentations and then have a conversation afterwards um and I've invited everyone on the mailing list um who come who also come to feminist theory group to join in um the conversation I'm not sure how that will work like um in terms of practicality but um hopefully we can because we haven't had that so far in this series a kind of um discussion I don't think no I so, don't think I've yeah. I've only been to one but um the first the first one which was um rapture but yeah I don't think I've seen like a discussion in the in the room yeah so mm. I thought that'd be really good um mm. can see how that goes I don't know sometimes <laughs> questions <laughs> to the audience doesn't work but yeah if if anyone's listening who's part of feminist theory group please come along and everyone else <laughs> yeah and join in the discussion <laughs> Um, yeah, so that's Liquid Architecture's um, series of events that's been happening over four Fridays, and next week, September the 18th, will be the last one. Um, so what would a feminist methodology sound like? That's the theme question, um, featuring 28 women um, who are giving talks, performances, readings. It's been really amazing so far, and, yeah, it's held at West Space in the city. Do check out their Facebook page for more information. Um, so thank you, Aurelia and um, Eva, for coming on the show today. It's been really great talking to you about it. I've got, like, goosebumps, actually. I just want to keep talking about it, but um, the show's um, almost over. So I'm going to end... The show with a track. This is Heaven or Las Vegas by Cocktoo Twins. something worrying you? Need someone to talk to? Having trouble at work or at home? Call WIRE Women's Information on 1300 134 130 Monday to Friday 9am to 5pm. Talk to a woman who cares. It's free and confidential Victoria wide. You can talk to us about anything. You can also talk to us in your own language through our telephone interpreter service. So call WIRE on 1300 134 130 or visit wire.org.au. WIRE is a 3CR supporter. Hey 3CR listeners, you're listening to Queering the Air on 3CR Community Radio with myself, Tan Hung. 
Earlier today, we just um, we just had a great conversation with Aurelia Go and Eva Birch. So thank you so much for coming in. Please do check out um, their work that's coming up at What Would a Feminist Methodology Sound Like this Friday, the 18th of September at West Space in the City. And I'll be putting up details on our Facebook page and um, the 3CR website. So the song we just heard was Heaven or Las Vegas by Cocktoo Twins. And I just wanted to mention that next week um, on Queering the Air, we'll be having two new presenters. Um, So please make them feel welcome by tuning in. Um, Those two presenters are Jules and Taz, two amazing people of colour. So um, please listen in again from three to four next week on Sunday. So the song that we're going to leave you with today is um, a song by R.L. Kelly called Life's a Bummer. Life is a bummer Life is a bummer